Our next topic is W.B. Yeats. So Yeats is one of the greatest English poets of the first half of the 20th century. Like his slightly older contemporaries Oscar Wilde and G.B. Shaw, he was born in Dublin of Protestant parents and went to London as a young man to pursue a literary career unlike Wilde and Shaw. However, he used Celtic literary subjects and soon returned to Ireland. There he founded the famous Abbey Theatre in 1894 and became the leader of the Irish Literary Revival. The Irish Literary Revival was a movement in the late 19th century and early 20th century aimed at reviving the ancient folklore, legends and traditions of Ireland and diffusing and preserving them by means of neo-literary works. So this movement also known as Irish Renaissance and the Celtic Renaissance. So it was the literary and cultural aspect of the same nationalistic impulse which on its political side demanded from rule for, uh, demanded home rule for Ireland. So in their early days, W.B. Yeats and others of this group had been imitating the French decadence and symbolist. So later they joined to channel Irish nationalism into constructive artistic achievement and to arouse a consciousness of cultural unity. So their aims were to preserve the Gaelic language, to revive Celtic myth and old folk tales, to create a legendary national character. And that means a compound of romantic fantasy and humorous realism. To stimulate a new literature, authentically Irish in spirit to exploit the fresh racy rhythms of native speech and to develop a more direct and realistic verse. So the group succeeded in producing some of the liveliest and most entertaining writing of the 20th century. Two major dramatists J.M. Singh and John O'Casey and aides were involved in the movement. James Joyce was Influenced by the movement, though not actively part of its, one outstanding achievement was the founding of Irish Literary Theatre in 1899 and later the Abbey Theatre in 1910. Some, some of the finest plays of the 20th century were written for and produced by the Abbey Theatre and have exercised an important influence on British and American drama. So by 1908, Aids had already completed a successful career at the age of 43. He was Ireland's best-known poet and dramatist and had just brought out his own collected works in eight volumes. His career, however, was far from over. His best works were still unwritten and he was entering a new phase, whereas he had been a late romantic poet Writing of love and Irish fairy tales and Celtic myth, he became, uh, to the surprise of many and to the dissatisfaction of some, a modern poet. The change may be attributed to the influence of the American Ezra Pound, the dean of modern poets. So, in 1908, Pound, then 23 years old, came to London to learn how to write poetry from its. So whatever the influence and counter-influences may have been, the poems in Earth's next collections, The Green Helmet and Responsibilities in 1914, 
exhibit many of the characteristics of the new poetry as formulated by Pound and his friends, the imagist in their manifestos. Direct treatment of the poetic sub-object, complete freedom of subject matter, verbal economy and concentration, each word doing a full-time job and the refusal to let poetry sing below the level of good prose by resource, for example, to poeticism or padding for the sake of rhythm or rhyme alone. So it's us fully conscious of his new direction as the court train caught the coming of wisdom with time shows romantic Ireland's dead and gone he wrote in September 1913 and in the poem A Court he indicated that his vogue was in part was responsible for the change. He condemned the imitators of his early style and discarded his old successful mythologies. In his next collection, The Wild Swans School in 1917, there is a poem called The Fisherman in which it is announced his hope that, quote, before I am old, I shall have written him one. Poem may be as cold and passionate as the dawn. So he fulfilled his hope, but not until he had passed through another mythology far more elaborate than the Celtic. Meanwhile, he continued to write plays occasionally, but stimulated by Pound's interest in Japanese classical drama, he turned from the stage of the Abbey Theatre to write private salary plays for dancers. So in 1917, the year of his marriage, it's again changed direction as a poet, and during the first few years of his marriage, he received a new universal mythology through the medium of his wife. This mythology is embodied in a book called A Vision. It's in 1925. And the preface, it tells us that he regards his second mythology as a set of stylistic arrangements of experience from which to draw metaphors for his poetry. The mythology, for more complex, private and systemized than the Irish myth, behind his earlier poetry. It's easily confused with popular astrology on the one hand and Oswald Spindler's decline of the West on the other. So it concerns the 28 phases of the moon, of the moon uh, relating uh, them to types of human personality and the history of civilization seen as huge complementary circles. The famous sonnet, Le Dan de Swan, 1924, takes an added meaning when we realize that for AIDS, each of the great cycles of Western history, the classical and the Christian, began with a conception by a mortal woman of the child of a god disguised as a bird. The unlocks are Leda and Virgin Mary, Zeus and God, Swan and Dove, Helen of Troy and Jesus Christ. Another poem, Second Coming, 1920, gains in power when we realize that it envisions the dissolution of the Christian cycle and foresees the beginning of another cycle. Water of beast, the hour came round at last, slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Two of Eight's finest poem of this period, Sailing to Byzantium, it's from the Tower, 1928, and Byzantium, from Words of for Music, 1932, are clearly related to the mythology of a vision. So, Aids viewed the Byzantium cultures of the 11th century 
as the zenith of the christian cycle that is the turning point of the cycle that is almost completed he paralleled it with the age of phidias that is periclean athens 5th century bc in the classical cycle so yates discovered his mythology because the mythologies currently available did not have enough vitality for his purposes while t.s eliot was showering fragments against ruins that is in wasteland and it was constructing a startling edifice from fragments the two byzantium poems and a dialogue of self and soul it's from the winding star 1929 more than justify his system and there are many more poems of which the same must be said by 1928 it was beginning to move toward it another poetic style his fourth in the present analysis and his last the second generation of modern english poets that is w h auden stephen spender cecil de lewis and magnus were university students soon to begin publishing their poetry of the first generation figures t.s eliot has just become a british subject and ezra pound was writing his cantos in italy where eliot's visiting him was convalescing from a serious illness So now it seemed to be abandoning although never completely his second mythology. He continued to write full cadenced richly textured complex poems of the sort made possible by a vision but he had a resurgence of interest in walking naked as he had begun to do in the period 1908 to 17. This time however he really did got wither into the truth. writing poems as cold and passionate as the dawn in a bare colloquial style and in simple stanzaic forms based on the ballad and folk song so among the most powerful of these are the eight crazy jane poems it's from 1930 to 30 and in dumb poetry is pared down to the bone and crazy jane is an old crazed woman who sings about the central experience of her life her youthful love affair with jack the journeyman tinker and their excommunication by the bishop she is its kinglier and fool in one the meanings of life that are worked within the series are similar to those in the byzantium poems as edsard said though lisa many the root is one but the expression is far more far simpler Eds is now speaking to the multitude and few alike. Two of Eds' latest poems, Lapis Lazuli, it's 1936, and Long Legged Fly, in 1938, well represent his ripest poetic manner. So both link with the Crazy Jane series in the affirmation of life and their expression of the sense of glory that makes tragedy. meaningful and orders the transitory world so all things fall are built again and those that bind them again are gain in three short stanzas long legged fly juxtaposes the generative vitality of kaza and the end of the classical cycle of helen at the beginning and of michelangelo painting the first adam A moment of significant choice occurs for each, while the mind moves upon silence, like a long-legged fly upon the stream. Like Eads himself, 
each of these great generators of creative and destructive forces practices an art in his own medium in order that civilization may not sink so creation and destruction are inseparable and they are simultaneously necessary to keep civilization afloat as it's clearly perceived so its poetic legacy is at once a richly varied expression and a far reaching exploration of this perception it's anticipated the disillusionment and dissolution of values of our era so things fall apart the sender cannot hold mere anarchy is loosened upon the world so the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity and he was awarded nobel prize in 1923